Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Cloud Innovation Podcast. We're super excited to have you wherever you are watching and listening from. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about cloud security. And this is the most vast topic and so many places where somebody can come and attack you from ransomware or misconfigurations in your cloud, zero day exploits, open source security, host vulnerabilities, you know, you name it, there just seems to be a never ending list of places where you can get caught with your pants down and be all over the news. And it's a, such a vast topic. And we're going to get into it today and hopefully tell you some of the best ways you can avoid the pitfalls of cloud security and spend your money in the best way. Uh, who am I? I'm Nesh. I'm from Global Dots and I've been here for about five and a half years. And primarily my role is in cloud security, FinOps and web security. And uh, Global Dots is an organization that's been running for 20 years looking for new innovative technology from across the world, finding cool new vendors that people didn't hear of, and then bringing them to market. So my job is as a technical sales engineer, finding the new technology and also introducing the new technology. And I'm joined on the show today by my colleague and good friend, Francesco. To say it with Charles Dickens, hi, low. This is Francesco Altamare. I've been working with Global Dots for 10 years now. I joined Global Dots 10 years ago as a sales engineer. These days, I also run sales operations across Southern Europe. Pleasure to meet you. I guess let's let's start with why there are so many places that are now open to attack and then how we can cover, what's the best way to cover those bases. Um, I guess that the biggest problem for, for us at the moment in the cloud security world is that all clouds look the same and in the in the old days you used to have that different clouds were configured in different ways because they were private clouds and you had to there were idiosyncrasies in people's platforms but now all clouds look the same they're the, all the services available to all people and as soon as a person or an actor has got one foot inside your door you're suddenly your your attack surface is absolutely huge I mean, what do you think about this, Francesco? That's the case. Clouds um, can be uh, penetrated from all angles, and there are just countless attack surfaces, so we like to call them, from which a uh, malicious entity might uh, attack you, get access to uh, your premises, and then rake havoc from the inside out. There really aren't uh, limited <clears throat> uh, attack surfaces here, and if I really have to drop uh, a story, a horror story, uh, who particularly resonates with Italy, it was the ESXi Rx attack that happened one month ago. This hit up to 70,000 servers. And the worst of it all is this attack exploited a vulnerability, which was well documented in February 2021, and for which a fix was available starting with February 2021. How cool is that? And I think that that kind of hits the nail on the head that even things that are completely known about get totally missed inside uh, inside your estate. And, you know, from from 
experience of lo looking at various customers we have, and people who come towards us, one of the huge problems is just too many places to look. And I think if you think about, you know, let's say open source vulnerability is slightly different to host vulnerability, which is slightly different to lateral movement, which is slightly different to Kubernetes security, which is slightly different to um, cloud entitlements and management and, and all these things. And, and, and until recently, all of these have been covered with a, a solution for each one. So you suddenly get to the point where even if you've got an advanced security team, you've got like 10 pieces of software to look at, which, you know, that's, it's just too many places to look and too many tools you need to onboard. What do you think about that? Absolutely, uh, Nash. I think we're best off possibly exposing some of the most well-known attack surfaces and how you should deal with it. And then ideally also wrap it up with the uh, analysis paralysis scenario you just mentioned by talking about convergence of data. Mm. Uh, sounds like a great plan. I would say uh, let's let's should we should we dive into what Gartner would call them because I think probably the Gartner seems to rule the world in terms of how people understand things. Um, so, in, in case you're not aware, the the most favoured way to bundle a number of these different attack vectors into one place is a CNAP, and that's a cloud native application protection platform, um, which is uh, a proper mouthful. Um, Francesco, do you want to expand for us? What is a CNAP? Very gladly. Um, we love to uh, get buried under acronyms in this industry. And so, of course, CNAP consists of yet another three acronyms. If you look at these from a historical perspective, we're then looking at the CWPP, CSPM, CIEM. Each and every one of these uh, focuses on entirely different things, but I try and keep things simple for you. See the horror story I mentioned before? Well, that's a typical horror story that wouldn't have happened with a CWPP, Cloud Workload Protection. So the CWPP, which is also the oldest brother of them three, right? Um, was born, or at least it was created as an acronym uh, a handful of years ago, I think five or four years ago, roughly speaking. This product, this category of product has all to do with protecting hosts and from their own vulnerabilities at the hosts level. The ESXi ARCs attack exploited a typical ESXi host vulnerability. Products like these deal with these vulnerabilities in that they patch them, right, for you where possible. And if not, at least they expose them to you for you to then go ahead and patch them, especially when you had over two years time to do this. Follow CSPM. This was born around 2020. CSPM to stick to the cloud has much more to do with things like security policies, uh, exposed buckets, uh, things like these. Things that don't, strictly speaking, have to do with your hosts, also because uh, some of these things simply aren't EAS products, if you know what I mean. Some of these are managed to some degree. Nevertheless, you're still the one 
uh, assigning policies and rights to these products. So if you have a bucket containing sensitive data and this bucket's not supposed to be public, but it is public, a tool like a CSPM tool, Cloud Security Posture Management tool, will tell you about that. And then of course, it's up to you to make it not public again. Finally, the youngest brother called CIEM. Uh, this has instead everything to do with identity, okay? The assumption being that no attack can happen within your premises without an identity to carry it out, right? Be it a human, be it a system identity, machine to machine. And so, of course, what a CIEM tool does is mapping out the relationship of so-called IAM roles, I'm sticking to AWS terminology this time around, and well, showing you the potential of how far can a given identity, due to its policy, uh, reach out to, especially if malevolent. I'm basically talking about the least privileged access, which we all talk about every day, and we all know it's a nightmare to implement. So Synap is basically the sum of them three products uh, brought together courtesy of countless companies out there, and we uh, appear to be specialists in this world. Did I sum yeah, it up? That, Mish? Yeah, that, that's a that is actually an excellent summary, and it's it's funny because this the scene app, as much as I hate it, and as much as I hate the acronyms, um, it was actually necessary to describe something that encompassed all of the previous acronyms in a tool, um, and it's it's a way if, if you don't understand what the scene app is. It's a way of solving so many problems in one place uh, that you cover so many more bases that you don't need all of those previous tools we, we talked about at the beginning where you have one tool for X, another tool for Y, and another tool for Z. You know, you, you, you're bundling as much as you can into this one place. And there's th some things are just not exciting anymore. For example, host vulnerabilities and I can talk of a company maybe like Tenable that people are familiar with or Nessa Scan or something. It's old. Everybody knows about it. It's something you need to deal with. Um, same with open source security. You know, it's a, you know you need to scan your software as you're packaging it out for open source vulnerabilities. There's nothing special about it anymore. Uh, just bundle all that together. And that's what the scene apps have essentially done. They bundled all these nice bits together. The bit I think is really cool is that because they're all in the same place, that you get machine learning to look at the information from all those aspects. And actually, you can knit parts of the story together that didn't used to be able to, it didn't used to be possible to knit parts of these stories. So let's say, for example, um, you do get a bad actor inside your cloud estate. Maybe they get a, an access key or, or uh, somehow a, an employee's laptop is compromised in some way. If they start doing strange things inside the estate that didn't used to happen from with that user or from a specific region, you know, that's going to be flagged up. And then if they start creating infrastructure or doing something that is also unusual, that's going to be flagged up. And then if, if there's a, you know, a, a bucket that didn't used to be open to the world is suddenly made open to the world and then lots of data is coming out of that bucket, you know, it's a it's a way of getting all these different contextual points and tying them together to, to make a, a richer narrative. And it wasn't something that was available 
previously and it's just pretty cool that it's available now um yes so nash let me see if i got it right i'm company xyz i contact you i get myself a cnap platform i'm done with cloud security did i get you right <laughs> uh in in the land of lollipops and chocolate trees 100 yeah you're you're secure um no we both know no and um you know we're, we're both talking to to we're both talking to CISOs and high level ranking it security officers and i think we know the biggest problem they have is that they know they need to buy loads more tools and they just don't have the money and everything is a budget so it's just what can i get for my money that's going to cover me in the best possible way um and, and then also knowing that if somebody really wants to get you if they really want to get after you you could almost do nothing to stop that unless you are the fbi or the nsa or the mi5 or something like that you know you have to be seriously top of the game not to be able to stop if somebody really wants you but you know i would say the, the cnap is the the biggest bang for the buck quick fix um what do you think is next in line well um for one we didn't even start talking about networks so why don't we great kick us off if i may i'll drop another couple of acronyms right <laughs> uh, the first one might be ZDNA, and the other one might be SASE, S-A-S-E, right? Not S-A-W-S-Y, which is another thing. So ZDNA, Zero Trust Network Access, we all talked about it. Everyone's heard about it. It's no news by now. Like the pandemic made it a big thing, and now everyone has it under the skin, right? ZDNA has everything to do with not trusting whomever approaches your network from wherever he comes, whomever he claims to be, and wherever he wants to go, right? ZDNA is more of a philosophy of doing networking than anything else. And then, of course, around this philosophy, a whole industry was uh, born. In fact, we have countless technologies uh, covering this these days. Uh, we want you know, spend time talking about each and every one of these. I'll just say zero trust network access is a way of doing network access where you basically don't trust anyone. Think of your employees connecting from remote, smart working, right? Uh, and well, even though you know John Smith is John Smith, you won't trust John Smith is John Smith until John Smith can prove he is John Smith. That's it, very basically. You go through a layer of authentication, and then you go through a layer of authorization. And at the authorization stage, it is not a given that John Smith will be able to roam free throughout your uh, infrastructure. Stemming off, ZTNA come SASE and possibly also micro-segmentation. Let's start with the micro-segmentation one first. John Smith tried to access your network to work his day, and he proved he is John Smith, right? However, John Smith works in engineering, so he needs no access to either payroll or whatever, financial data, etc. So what do you do? You do micro-segmentation. Micro-segmentation means 
Thank you, John Smith, for proving that you are John Smith. However, you can only go this way. You cannot look at anything else in our uh, premises. That's it, basically. It helps you to minimize the damage radius of John Smith going havoc or losing his laptop to some uh, malevolent entity who can then do the so-called lateral movement. Who hasn't heard of lateral movement these days? Finally, let's spend a word on two or two on SASI. So what is SASI? SASI is yet another acronym, which is the sum of things like SD1, RBI, and many, countless actually, uh, more acronyms. SASI is basically a new way of doing networking. I'm talking about East-West networking, as well as North-South networking, whereby the logic of firewalling, IPS, anti-spam, CASB, just to name another one, is shifted from your premises, your good old appliances, right, to the cloud, back in the cloud. So basically, what SASI stands for is keep doing networking, keep doing security. However, there's no point in purchasing uh, Stone Age old appliances who will go end of life at some point and which you have to be physically present to tune and configure when they need tuning or configuring, but rather shift all this logic to the cloud. Why? because the cloud is elastic, it's scalable, it can do a better job than your on-prem metal-based appliances. And finally, it allows you to govern it from anywhere in the world. Anywhere you'll be, you'll be able to run a SASE. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what do you think about it, Nash? Yeah, I mean, these... It was great. You even you even dropped a few more acronyms, which we, we, yeah. we didn't unpack. But if we unpack all the acronyms, we'll be here uh, until the sun dies. But yeah, the 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 SASE and the zero trust. They, you know, to think about zero trust and where where what the problem it's solving is crazy because the old VPN style infrastructure, very typical for people to have. Uh, blanket network access once they've authenticated. So just if you're talking about internal networks, it's like 10 dot not 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 slash eight. And just saying, yeah, if you're on the VPN, you can see everything, which just you know completely blows your lateral movement because it means that someone can go everywhere. Um, so the 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 zero trust aspect, you know, makes perfect sense. <clears throat> and the the sassy side of the world, and 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 by the way, zero trust is is a kind of philosophy because if you were clever enough to know how to limit access in the old days, people have been doing zero trust since remote access began. They just didn't call it zero trust. They were just uh, um, high functioning security companies or something like that. You know, they just were just more mature. And the sassy thing, yeah, it's, you know, we, we lost, we lost the, the, the office, the branch office and the headquarter model quite a while ago. And now we have, everything in the cloud everywhere from SaaS platforms, PaaS platforms and remote working, you know, no vast majority of people working from home and from, from other strange locations. The, the idea that you build a network to be able to encompass every person, their working situation and all the different ways they want to connect into the office is crazy. You know, no, nobody should be doing that. 
it makes perfect sense that there are large cloud providers with an overlay on top of the internet providing you know your portion of the private network you know like your virtual private part of the network and this is you know the the, the sassy provider in the zero trust i think will definitely see a, a, a merge of those technologies in the future there's no there's no two ways about it that sassy and zero trust are, are wedded together and they'll, they'll they'll become a one product of which the um maybe there'll be a new acronym something to look forward to oh. um well, yeah, uh, but zero trust. I, I you know, we I see an explosion of that in this year alone. You know, the, the it's been there for a few years, and people are doing different offerings for it. But I really see in the last uh, six months or so, the the number of people requesting POCs or the number of people that are interested in looking at that is um, it's explosive at the moment. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the same question back at you then, Francesco. So now we've covered. Uh, uh, roughly talking about SASEs and what they do, um, which includes all the remote access and all the nice stuff and zero trust and roughly what that is. And we have a CNAP. Uh, we're, we're totally covered with security now, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and that's if you don't run code or APIs or uh, interesting stuff in your premises. Because if you do, we're not done at all here. Um, maybe we can look at uh, APIs as a vehicle, uh, as a vessel for an attack next. So let's talk about it. API, another acronym. How funny is that? Um, API. Okay, well, these have been around much, much longer than CNAP, uh, will admit. However, uh, what you're also possibly aware of is that they're booming. They've basically been booming for the net, for the past two, two decades, and they'll in my opinion, keep booming for the next five. AKA, we're letting machines talk to machines and much less traffic these days is made by humans against machines than machines with machines. APIs are all about communicating data. It could be sensitive data, it could be sales orders, it could be security information, it could be all kinds of things. Uh, fact is, APIs, walk amongst us and these can be hacked into and if an api endpoint protects sensitive information such as uh, personally identifiable data then you don't want to be there right api traffic and uh, attack tactics are a bit different than what you would do as a human against a machine First of all, because machines to machines communicate all the time. Second of all, because it's not about clicking here or there. It's more about streaming information back and forth all the time. So pitfalls are very different than the typical pitfalls between humans and machines. Pitfalls can be, well, the typical API attack, let's put it this way, starts with tinkering around with your API endpoints. You might have an API endpoint which expects a GET request, an array, and a date, whatever. And so um, a malicious individual might start playing with that array and that date fields and start sending you integers or whatever else in order to see how your API reacts. Let's take a step back. When you develop API endpoints, you do what's called input sanitization. 
or at least you should do, your developers should do. However, developers are under extreme strain these days. Uh, we all love uh, doing 17 releases a day, if not 25, right? So little is the time developers have left to do input sanitization. And when you're dealing with tens and tens of complex API endpoints, some doors are left open, okay? Or undocumented simply, right? That's exactly what um, malicious people are after. They're after a way to send your uh, API gateway into a buffer overflow or to make so that by playing with fills, you'll send out your whole customer database, including PII data, right? And that's where API security uh, steps in. API security is yet another family of solutions uh, aiming to protect you from this kind of attacks. They do this in many different ways, and there surely are a lot of acronyms to be uh, spent here, like AI, right? And ML, maybe. Uh, and baseline and anomalies, of course. So in a nutshell, what these solutions do is they start receiving your data, they mirror it, right? They see it coming through and they pass it on. They create a baseline <clears throat> of how an endpoint should be interacted with. And as soon as things start diverging from the baseline, they, as a least, inform you in real time about that. In fact, tools like these are actively used by our clients to even debug and do the input sanitization we were talking about before. However, these solutions can also be um, connected with other solutions which you might have to protect you and to basically start banning IPs, users, whatever, so that you can have a whole automated flow for protection when it comes to API data. I hope I kept it easy, Anesh, didn't I? Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw another acronym in there just because why not? This is going to be the, the most acronym-filled episode ever. Um, on top of that, in uh, when you're looking at that API security piece, in order to test those API endpoints, um, now seeing the... Uh, what DAST tools, so dynamic automatic security testing tools. And you can think of this as a uh, pen tester in a box, if you like, uh, something you call as part of your CICD process. So you're going to release a new APN, API endpoint. And as part of that, you automatically run a DAST scan and that tries 100,000 permutations of exactly the sorts of things you're talking about where you say, what happens if I throw an integer instead of a number or what happens if I try and do a buffer overload, you know, all these things. Um, so the kind of, you know, auto, or I just think it is auto pen testing, really. That's, that's, that's becoming pretty common now. And we're seeing a lot of tools on that tools for that on the market. Um, what's interesting about API security particularly is that, you know, if you lock down your entire estate and it's like Fort Knox, you still have to provide an API in to do business with most other people, either from a website point of view or from a business, a B2B point of view. And it becomes the one way into your estate. And quite often that one way into your estate can become not just a pinprick hole, but, you know, a gaping hole in your into your infrastructure. 
and it's interesting because you know, we've we've been talking about it for again a good few years because we're head of the innovation curve and people weren't interested. Now we see they are interested. And what's more, that they, they, you know everyone's familiar with the OWASP top ten for security on websites. Well, at the start of this journey a few years ago, uh, there wasn't one for APIs. And now we have OWASP top 10 for API protection. So we can see that the market is maturing there. We can see that everybody knows it's, it's you know, it has its own OWASP category now. So um, definitely, if you haven't been worrying about that up until this point, you need to worry about it. And what's interesting is it's not covered by your traditional technologies. So we talked about uh, CNAP, Zero Trust and SASE. None of any tool is covering that will cover your API. And typically your, your, uh, your default uh, web application firewall providers will do some effort to cover APIs, but actually they don't cover you for the zero day attacks on APIs because a lot of the time what you're doing with the API is getting it to respond with what we would call in HTTP terms a 200 okay. So you've sent something to the API and that's allowed and that's why the data's come back and we've seen this in the news um you know you i, I won't list a specific example but uh you know if you look at a api leak from from a company you'll see it's full of Google, full of uh top level stories from companies like uber and google even so you just have to ask yourself if uber and google can't get this right um is is anybody basically so it's a uh, I, I think we're just at the journey of at the start of the journey with API security. It's a it's a super cool, interesting space. Um, I have I, I happen to know the the, the number one um, OWASP flaw was, and I've I've been told always will be the BOLA, which is the broken object level authorization, and that's where you put in the URL path. Uh, you know, kind of, you know. HTTPS, my bank slash uh, get balance or my account number get balance. And then rather than putting my account number, I put your account number in and I get the balance back of your account. And if the API allows that, that's a BOLA attack. And uh, there you go. Little little fact for you of the day. Neat. So, Nesh, let me see if I got you right. I can get myself an API security solution and then my code <clears throat> is safe including open source code, right? Uh, it, again, in the land of fairies and sugar sugar, sugar plum fairies, maybe. Uh, no, we, we, we're still open, unfortunately. Um, interesting that most companies in a survey didn't actually know if they were doing something about open source vulnerabilities. So more than 50% said they didn't actually know. Um, and this is a, this is a huge one that people are packaging and baking vulnerabilities in open source code. And just for those who don't know, um, nobody is writing their own code in order to build an application these days. You just get lots of different bits of open source that are available, and then you knit and you weave them together and you knit them together in ways that are useful to you in order to make an application. And then if a vulnerability is found in those, then you're then your your application is vulnerable. I think that the, probably the most uh, well remembered in recent history 
would be the log for j or log for shell attack which was sometime christmas um a previous year which kind of ruined loads of tech people's christmas as they had to run around finding out where they were exposed for log for j um and these kind of things happen over time we had um heartbleed poodle uh, uh and xyz other 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 friendly names for these various sort of vulnerabilities that have come over time and common misconception on these is that if you take the latest version of software from a vendor that that is a clean version and you know this is this is absolutely not the case you know the, uh, the latest version of node or the latest version of nginx or something a package like that from the internet is typically riddled with critical errors and hundreds of high impact vulnerabilities um yeah don't know what your thoughts are on that wait are you telling me that uh, my supplier chain code isn't safe wow <laughs> that's groundbreaking news nash i didn't think about it okay worth paying attention to and so i think we could keep exploring more and more and more attack surfaces but the ones we already mentioned bring us to the famous analysis paralysis situation which you nash uh, introduced in the beginning Care to explain a bit? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Analysis paralysis, it, it kind of like does what it says on the tin, but knowing that there is so many attack vectors and knowing that there are so many pieces of software that cover those attack vectors and knowing that it's going to take you a long time to do a successful POC or find out if these, these guys actually work or not, um, leaves you to the point where you you can't or don't buy anything um i mean we we see it every day we're 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 in conversation with these customers and it's what makes us a you know that's that's how you end up talking to a, a in quotes security expert or something like that because you're like hey guys we 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 want automatic pen testing what what do we do about that or we we know we need to do something about cloud security what do we do about that um, and sh maybe sure, Chat GPT will give you some sort of half-baked answer. But I don't. I, I know for a fact that Chat GPT doesn't work in the wild and see what these tools look like. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big landscape. Yes, it is. <clears throat> and I think the biggest problem, as you mentioned in the beginning, has everything to do with uh, too much data. Assuming you uh, out there listen to our advice and got yourself a Synapse solution, a SASE solution, an API security solution, an open source code solution. Yeah, and then you are also streaming logs of your routers, of your firewalls, and of your uh, countless other acronyms in the industry. What do you do with that? Mm. Uh, this this would be, I say, the probably the most difficult and um tricky aspect for any company to solve and especially if you're a small to medium one and it's your it's your seam and your sock so more acronyms to throw at you but your system information event management that's your seam uh, and then your security operations center and that's your sock and to be honest in the in the wide world building your own seam and trying to build your own sock just seems like insanity today, given that there are 
so many places you can get information from for your seam. And what we've seen in the recent years is what used to be quite simple to collect in terms of log data, which would be maybe your routers, maybe your firewalls, maybe some stuff about your estate and a few bits and bobs. It's exploded now. So now you need to get your logs from Office 365. You need to get it from your single sign on your or, or your Okta. You need to get pull logs about your your Google Cloud Drive. Um, everything to do with your cloud estate, plus all the other pieces of software that interact with you. You know, you've suddenly got an overwhelming um, amount of data coming at you. And um, yeah, what do you think about that, Francesco? How could we solve that? Well, I think you got me paranoid enough and wanting to stream all these data. However, all these data is a nightmare to be uh, scrutinized, especially if in real time, especially if 24 by 7 by 365. And that's where so-called uh, soccer-as-a-service companies, uh, you know, come in. Generally, <clears throat> security teams are understaffed. It's a strange equation. I see it everywhere I go. Uh, there's always less security people than you would need. And because if you followed our advice, you got yourself solutions to cover all of these aspects and countless more we couldn't cover today. Um, there's simply too much noise for you to look at, right? SOC as a service solutions are indeed the ones to help you on this because you don't have a single dashboard anymore because you don't have a single repository anymore where to scrutinize all these data coming at you real time, all the time in gigabytes, if not terabytes, if not petabytes worth of them. Yeah, that's what these companies are for. You choose and vet what's most appropriate for your scenario. You write down a so-called ROM book with said company where basically you define all processes and escalations and procedures and what to do if it's a lot of what if scenarios, right? So that they know exactly how to operate in all instances. And that's it. They become your eyes and ears out there in the wild. You can sleep tight at night or you can almost sleep tight at night knowing someone else's eyes will be looking at these petabytes worth of incoming data all the time. And if there's anything, uh, wrong with any of these data, then there will be procedures for these people to escalate and do the needful, right? Whatever. Is, has a laptop uh, being infected with malware? Well, cool. They'll escalate to the infected laptop owner to flash his or her laptop. Has a router gone bananas? Well, if it's a physical router, they'll send another router and someone to install it etc 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 this is in my opinion a way for you to make better use of your money and of your security people right keep them where they're needed the most and at the same time to really scrounge through all these data which you if you followed our advice now have yeah and i think you know the piece of advice sort of at the beginning of this is the biggest bang for your buck was to get a CNAP because it encompasses so many things. The, the SOC as a service or SEAM as a service, whatever you want to call this, this sort of emerging industry, I would say, unfortunately, it's not for everyone because it's expensive and you have to be um, 
of a security mindset or care enough about that or be large enough about that uh, to, to to look at that. And I'd say probably that happens at around the uh, probably between 50 and 100, but typically more than 100 employees before you're really looking at something like this. But it might not be the biggest bang for the buck in terms of uh, what you get, you know, from from zero to a, to 80. Let's say if you get with a CNAP, the bit that you get with a SOC as a service is that that peaceful night's sleep as the CISO. And it's actually it, it's it, even if it is expensive, I think that's probably it's almost invaluable because you know that you will probably miss the alert. And, you know, there's 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 always a way for someone to come in. There's always a zero day. There's always an exploit. There's always something you get to the point with these soccer as a service type companies where actually if you push enough of the data and you've you've really been honest about all the different places what you consume services, the odds are you will find that needle in a haystack or rather not you will, but the, your soccer as a service provider will find that needle in a haystack and I, it might not be the biggest bang for the buck, but it's definitely the the most important bang you might catch. Um, yeah, it's uh, and again, that's that's a huge growth thing. It didn't, it wasn't really something that people were interested in a few years ago, and I, and I see crazy explosion of uh, using machine learning and things like that to to help build out that service. And I think on that note, we're probably at a wrap up and out of time. Um, we covered a heck of a lot of topics and if nothing else hopefully now you understand a, a whole bunch of acronyms that you hadn't heard you hadn't heard before uh, if you enjoyed the cloud innovation content please follow us like and subscribe um, feed us some love and that will give us the the drive to create more of this and thank you so much for your support and being with us today francesco thank you for being my co-host on this show thank you Thank you very much.